Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos to the American Dream Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Edricio de la Cruz. Edricio is a Dominican immigrant, a founder, and now the first Latino visiting partner at White Combinator, an American technology startup accelerator, one of the most successful in the history of tech. Like me, Edricio has achieved his version of the American Dream. Today, we're going to talk about how we got here and how more Latinos can too. So let's get into it. Edricio, welcome to the show. Elias, thank you so much for having me. Great to see you again. Absolutely. Edricio is a good hustler. I like that. You were like reaching out to me like forever and I'm just like... I'm That's just, how oh. it is, man. Persistence. I, I love that. You know why? Because I'm not trying to be like an asshole or anything like that. It's, it's just, I'm overwhelmed. It's just so many messages. I know. I know that people talk about that and I don't want to brag about it, right? But it's like... You know, I get messages on LinkedIn. I get people interested and stuff. I, I just can't, I know, can't do it. But you kept going and you kept going. You're of like, course, what's man. up? You're like LinkedIn, Twitter. And I was like, fuck, I got to respond to this guy. This guy is awesome. It's in the back of my mind. But see, it was always in the back of my mind to reply. But every time you did it as a reminder, and I never got mad. I think that people need to understand that, right? The people don't get upset if you keep messaging. It's not like... It's not like you're interrupting them in the middle of the street, right? It's not like you're showing yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. It's just a message. And yeah. you do that. And we got connected. We're spending time. We're collaborating on stuff. And it's yeah, the beginning of great, great new things for both of us. And now we're Yeah, here. I'm excited. Excited to talk to you and, and kick this off. And hopefully we help some people today. Exactly. It's inspire, show people different paths that you've taken, uh, and encouragement to fight the good fight and to go after the American dream. So let's look at your Twitter bio. You still use Twitter? Yeah, a little bit. I'm mostly now on LinkedIn, Instagram, but yeah. Twitter is an entertaining place right now. Very, very much so, especially now with Elon. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's every day is incredible what's happening in there. Yeah. But in your Twitter bio, it says you hustle hard, give back, anything's possible. What's yes. going on here? Yeah, I, I think that is a great synopsis of, of my personal trajectory and, and what I've learned over the past 25 years since I immigrated from the Dominican Republic. What do you define by hustle? Hustle is persistence and resilience and willingness to, to overcome any obstacles that are in your way and not see them as obstacles, see them as opportunities. I think on your trajectory towards success, there's going to be a number of expected, unexpected obstacles that are going to come in your way. Some of them warranted, some of them outside your control. But no matter what, it's going to be there. And you could do two things. You could complain about it or you could see it as an opportunity to kind of continue to like level up and continue to get better. Adversity and resilience, it's like a muscle that the more you work it out, the bigger it becomes, the stronger it becomes with time. Yeah, it, it's it just, especially on Twitter, right? There's just so much arguing and bike shading over hustling, right? And with it, that is bad that you know don't work too hard i don't think our immigrants no. we argue that we have to hustle that's right? not a luxury we have right we 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 come here to, to the states that don't speak the language if you immigrated 
by and large, it's because you didn't have the financial resources in your home country and you came here to, to achieve, you know, like you and I, like the American dream, right? And everyone has a different definition of what that dream entails. But the thing with us is that we don't have a, a pattern of success or a model of success that we can mirror like a lot of our colleagues in the, in the tech ecosystem. Like we, we don't have, we didn't grow up seeing other tech founders or successful corporate executives. So we have to carve out on our path and figure that out on our own, which makes it very complicated because you can't be what you can't see. You can be what you can't see. Yeah. And, and it's difficult, right? It's like I've had so many role models that I kind of ignore a little bit their color or their upbringing and just trying to extract the essence. And, and, and when in some ways, nobody's like you, right? Nobody's, nobody has gone through your same exact path and what worked for somebody else doesn't work for you. So at the end of the day, you still have to be unique and you have to forge your own success, your own American dream, because in, there's no right or wrong, you know, necessarily, right? Unless you're SBF at FTX, you know? But, <laughs> but, but I think that people need to listen, right? And, and to, to a lot of people and find those role models, right? Because without it, I, like, I wouldn't be here, right? And, and, and you're, but you're right. You can't be what you can't see. I love that. Mm-hmm. So what's happened? Tell me a little bit about yourself. You, you came from, from Dominican. What year? Yeah, I came over to the States from the Dominican Republic when I was 12. I immigrated first to the South Bronx and then moved to Harlem. I lived there until I, I finished high school in, in, in Queens. I went to an aviation high school. So the path was to go into aviation as an aircraft mechanic. Uh, they joined the Air Force Reserve after that. My dream at the time was to be uh, an airline pilot. So I was set to to do 10 years in the military and become an airline pilot. I passed the ASPAP, passed the physical test, and I decided to drop out of the military to just help out my parents uh, economically, and then took on two jobs as an aircraft mechanic at JFK, dropped out of college as well. And, and I did that like any, like any good immigrant son, you know, trying to repay back the debt owed to their parents. When I was 21, decided to go back to to college, but by no school would take me. So I wound up going to community college, which wow. is an interesting kind of like culmination of a lot of people in different stages of life. But I just felt like I could do better. And I wound up transferring to City College at Baruch College when I was 24. So I was a little bit past everybody's prime, so to speak. But I... That's when I started learning about Wall Street, and I just became enamored with Wall Street. You know, as immigrants, we see the, the big city lights and success. To me, Wall Street was a was synonymous with success and synonymous with, with making it. It was less about the money, more about kind of being able to achieve that next level. I wanted to be kind of front and center of, of what Wall Street was at the time, and to me, that was investment banking. All this just told me that there's no way you're going to get into investment banking. They only get recruited from Ivy League schools. You are too old. You work as a mechanic. It's never been done before. But I just knocked on every door, got rejected time, time, time again. I would show up to banks without an interview sometimes just to have coffee with somebody. I wound up interviewing with about 11 banks three times, so about 30-plus interviews. Two months right before my graduation, I wound up getting an opportunity to, to be an intern uh, at UBS Investment Bank. So I wound up kind of have to for delay my my graduation by a whole year, but I knew that was going to change my life. I knew that changing my scenery from airplane mechanic to Wall Street, even as an intern, was just going to change my trajectory. 
And it did. I became part of a program called SEO, which focuses on helping minorities get into Wall Street. And just putting yourself in the right environment, the right ecosystem, completely changes what you think you can achieve. And that's when I kind of learned the concept of getting in the right room. You just by virtue of surrounding yourself with success, you become success by the virtue of osmosis. It worked like magic, right? Hold, hold on, hold on. You're like, you're making so many pivots. It's mind-blowing. What an amazing story. We, let's not get to SEO and UBS just yet. Let's go back to this pilot mechanic. When I first came, like my brother-in-law is, is a mailman, and everybody's like, get a job at the, at the, at the postal office. It has good benefits, right? That's a good thing, right? And so like, I started with that advice, right, which is it's a great job, right? You get benefits, you security, blah, 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 right? And it's like, compared to like the instability, right, of, of no jobs for a Latino, that's that's a really a good thing. Look at what you did, right? You were going to be a mechanic, you were going to be a pilot, and you dropped out to go help your parents. That's huge. That's huge. You have great parents, right? Because they had to be different. Like other parents don't want to voice for their pride. They, they don't want to voice their needs, right, sometimes. And they also don't want to sacrifice their children, right, to to help them. But you guys came for one another, right? Yes. And, and help yes. each other. So that's, that's a powerful story, right? A lot of people struggle because they're like, I know some people that are in school later in their years and they're like embarrassed by it, right? I like your story because I, it, it wasn't my story necessarily, but I say to people those two things. One, it doesn't really matter when you graduate. No. When I say those things, people don't understand that, right? It doesn't matter if you graduate at 30, at 40, at 50. If you found the job that you wanted or you started the business that you wanted or you educated, who really cares, right? Who you're with. And then that you interview 33 times. I also say that to people, like I've learned that, right? That you just gotta, like I say to people, you can get any job you want. I've said this phrase before and people don't listen to it, right? But you can get any job you want. Any company, anywhere in the world, it might not be the highest position, but you can get the job, whatever you want, just by mere of keep showing up. Yeah, half the battle. Somebody's going to say, like, that persistent in itself is a winning personality. It's a winning attribute, right? And so if you just show up and you show up and you show up, you will get your foot in the door. It's only, it's, it's a numbers game, right? Yeah. And you proved it to go from mechanic, to go from city college, community college, older, blah, blah, blah. And you break in into UBS. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. Yeah. From now on, when I say those things, they were kind of like unfounded. Now I'm going to be just go listen to this podcast, go meet this guy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It felt so real at the time, but I didn't even think about at the time. I just knew I had to do more. I felt like I owed it to my parents who left everything behind. Not there's anything wrong with being a mechanic. I just felt like I could level up. And wherever I was, I knew that I could do more. And something happens when you achieve a certain level of success is that your belief in yourself gets reinforced by virtue of you achieving that. And it's like steps. You get to the next step and then you feel like, oh, I have arrived here. That's great. But I know I can do more because I just did that. Confidence is important. Sometimes I see people too overconfident, right? 
and they're like completely disconnected from reality, right? I feel like, you know, which is some of that is good. Some of it I think is bad, but you have to build up. We all need confidence. I think everybody's so insecure in general, right? People don't want to, don't want to accept that, but you got to use your achievements. And, and I would say for you, it's like dropping out of school and going back into school. That's an achievement in itself. You're going to then switch into city cop. That's an achievement in itself, right? You applying and getting a job entry level. That's being part of SEO. All those things should be building your confidence. Exactly. And doubting on ourselves less and less. That's what we, you know, we're trying to teach people of like overcoming that imposter syndrome. Once you show ability to have perseverance, when you show ability to learn, when you show intelligence to accomplish a task, the rest is just takes time and experience. Exactly. And finding the right models of what you want to try and do, right? I would be so overwhelmed, but the good thing is that you were young, right, in a way, <laughs> not contradicting, but to go into Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you see all these people that know all this stuff, right? And it's not like they learned it in school. I mean, they learn it on the job, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't know, maybe I'm getting older, but like that entering for the first time into, into such a world when you don't know anything about this stuff, right? Yes. And it's such a crazy space, right? Yeah. Where if you don't know something, you lose your shirt, right? Did you realize that? or It was very intimidating. I mean, this is the early 2000s. So Oof. it wasn't like now where you have a lot of talented people that go into tech and some talented people go into Wall Street. But basically, all the talented people went into basically Wall Street, which was the highest paying job you can get at, at an undergrad. So it's extremely competitive. But I was just so enamored and obsessed with, again, not the money element, but the success element. Like, I was just hungry. I was just really hungry. And I knew you could be smarter than me. You could be, you have a better network than me. You could have a better pedigree than me. But you're not going to outrun me. You're not going to outhustle me. And that was my attitude going in. My first summer, it was a three-month internship. I took one day off. And every other day, I worked from 8.30 to 2 a.m. With, with no sweat. Like just did it, showed up, did my best, and kept going. I just, I just had that hunger and that fire in me that, and that was my differentiator out of anybody else. I knew I wasn't gonna outsmart anyone else. Everybody else had gone to an Ivy League school. I had gone to a community college. Like it, there, there was no way that I was gonna do that. But, but I knew I was just hungry and I had that desire. And part of it was like that I needed to do it not for me, but for like my parents and just for society period i felt like i i needed to achieve something and i think that helped me keep going people want easy answers right on how to do something how to accomplish something i think here's an easy answer outwork everybody right i think that that recipe will always work right especially in the times that we're in right now of like indeed you know if you have some people from mit and harvard and you show up there and you and you work hard and you're there nonstop and you're learning and you try well, you're going to learn faster. You're going to learn more. Yes. Right? You know, take care of yourself. But if you do that, you're going to do well. I just don't see how someone, I, don't, I love the immigrant, right? The, the immigrant that says, I'm going to work every day I can, right? Yeah. Learn this. That just exactly wins the right. hearts of everybody, right? Exactly the customer, right. your boss, everybody, right? And you're learning. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, there's an easy answer. I'd work everybody. Yes. The easiest key to success, that's all. That's the only thing you can control. You can't control anybody else's perception of you. You can't control who says yes, who says no, but you can control the effort that you put forth. That's the only thing you control, right? And so, no, that's awesome. 
your SEO. I feel like I've interviewed a lot of SEO people. I did not know <laughs> yeah. a few back, you know, like a, a few months back or something, you know. How many, right? Who do I know? I know Terrence. Richie. Richie. Am I all played this? Am I all with me? Right? Wow. And then Infinity Ventures. Oh, okay. Mario. Mario. See, si, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. She's like, I didn't know this. It's a small circle. We all know each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm just going to interview everybody that went through SEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Done. Tell me a little bit about that. Just advertise that again. SEO, UBS, what happened? So uh, SEO was, was an instrumental part of my journey. And I guess the people don't know, SEO is a nonprofit organization that helps predominantly underrepresented students get into Wall Street careers like, like investment banking, sales and trading, and even legal. I had the offer from UBS already when I walked into the SEO interview, but I knew that I needed SEO. Something in me told me that. And then when I got into SEO, it kind of reinforced that I needed them. And then here's why. What SEO did meticulously well, better than any other organization, was they gave you a set of unwritten rules to abide by as a person of color on Wall Street. They would tell you things that nobody else would tell you, but everybody else was thinking. Things like you show, you show up 10 minutes early, it's on time. Like this is how you're supposed to dress. This is how you're supposed to ask a question. This is supposed to carry yourself. This is how you speak. And all these unwritten rules seem kind of uh, innocuous at the surface, but they're really not. They're really trying to shape you and mold you into a professional that's going to be twice as good as everybody else. Because at the end of the day, if you don't look like everybody else in in any field, you're going to be deemed as a risk. And what they're trying to do is that de-risk you and let your skills shine on their own. And it took me a while to get that concept, but once it was still... I was able to use that and kind of use it to my advantage. Because remember, I was I had spent six years in an environment as a blue collar aircraft mechanic, where I was showing up every day with coveralls, and everybody looked like me, and they carried themselves in a very different manner. So I now had to kind of trade my coveralls for a Brooks Brothers suit in a very white shoe environment. So I had to learn quickly things like etiquette and protocol when you are at a corporate dinner, how to dress correctly how to speak. It took me a while to like learn how to speak well. One of my first, one of my first reviews uh, from my staffer and investment banking was my accent. That they couldn't understand what I was saying. I was a Dominican kid from, from Harlem. Like I didn't know how to speak eloquently. It took me a while to do that, right? So going through that transition and being exposed to a CEO was a complete game changer. What do you think about that? Unwritten rules. Is that what they call it? Uh, that's what I call it. That's that's what I've learned. And, and that's what, what I've, I've learned to apply it in Silicon Valley as well, which has even less of an institutionalized endeavor towards, towards diversity. And both you and I know that. Yeah, I, I just feel like as a person of color, predominantly black or Hispanic, I, you're going to be looked at differently. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I think I think the only time that there's something wrong with that was, was when when we choose to not acknowledge that those differences exist. You're saying some deep stuff right there, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's like it's like my mind is kind of <laughs> in a politically correct world, right? It's like there's nothing wrong. It is wrong, right? 
but is the reality is that what you're saying or yeah it, it is it is a reality it is a reality to understand that those differences exist like he here's a quick anecdote when i was an investment banker summer analyst they took us to a country club in connecticut and everybody was with me on the bus i had a white color shirt just like i have now and my name tag that says Andricio UBS, Investment Banking Summer Analyst. And I was so eager to go to the country club. As soon as the boss pulled up, I jumped out and I took off my blazer and handed up to the coat check. And the lady behind the counter says, they're waiting for you in table six. And I was like, I'm sorry, ma'am. Yeah, table six is waiting for you. Your shift started six minutes ago. Uh, like, no, ma'am, I'm actually with the UBS Investment Bank. I'm one of the, the guests here. And then she just took the coat. And it's like, I wasn't upset. I was more shocked. It took me a while to understand this person probably hasn't been exposed to people that looked like me on the other side. The people that looked like me probably work with her as administrative staff or waiters or code checkers. And she probably hasn't been exposed to that. And I was the only person of color in my entire class. Right. So it takes a while to, to figure out that those differences exist. And it took me even a longer while to understand if she thinks like that, probably the people on my team think like that as well. And again, that's the part where I was naive to think that they're, they're colorblind, right? <laughs> but they are not. And that's what SEO teaches you. It's like the world's not colorblind. It is not perfect. That's okay. This is what you need to do to overcome those biases right? And an inherent prejudice that exists. Yeah. They're not really attacking anyone per se. They're just attacking reality and they're arming you with the tools that you need to not only be on par, but exceed that. And I'm very thankful for that because I just apply that in every single instance throughout the rest of my career. Absolutely. That happens to me all the time to this day, right? It's like, Sometimes I'm like getting ready, waiting for my valet for a car, and then, <laughs> like, and they're like, they hand me the keys. So I think, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I think you work there. Yeah, yeah, to, to the LA thing, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think my philosophy. Is, I agree with you. My philosophy is really, I cannot change people. I can only change myself, right? And like how I react to things, and so how I behave. How do I? acting one of those situations but i i actually kind of like the challenge i kind of like to be there and represent us right in the sense of when people learn that i can be as successful as anyone else that they ever met and be patient and not blow up at them for being like that right <laughs> and just plugging that one person at a time right it's like yeah it's a great feeling right to show that we are just as capable and exactly i i think that that's that's what we do. But I don't know. It's, it's, to me, it's like I have the, this immigrant mentality that I had nothing where I grew up and I was going to be nothing. I was going to be nobody, you know, in Nicaragua. I mean, I, I don't know what I, where I, what I would be right now. I didn't have a home and I didn't know. I could have been hustling, truly hustling, like selling this, buying this, just like surviving, like nothing, right? I don't know what my, my life would have been. So I came here. And just to have a home, just to be able to live, just be able to get any quick job and just have an apartment and live, right? It was easier than it could have been in my country. Yeah. So in a way, I'm like, everything I've gotten and built, it's like, 
icing on top. So I'm like, I, this is not my country, right? I wasn't That's born here. Yeah. Nobody, nobody owe me anything, right? I'm thankful that you can do, you can achieve an American dream, right? Yes, amen. So like, all these people could be upset at me, ask me to do, fetch things for them, store coats and park their cars. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, <laughs> it's all good, man. And so that's what we want to encourage people not to get to, our people not to get stuck on those things, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I just embrace it as this is just part of the journey. And to find people that teach us, right? I think how many of those things are really important, right? How to behave at a country club, behave or how to act, or what to say. Is that really important? I kind of hate the country clubs. To tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the country club is a microcosm for corporate culture in America. And corporate culture could be Wall Street, it could be it could be Silicon Valley, whatever whatever your your career path is. But I, I saw it as a microcosm that's exemplary of other people's mindsets in, in those environments. Like if this ecosystem is thinking it, this other ecosystem is also thinking it. And I'm just a lot more careful, and I just take it a lot less personal when when somebody makes a comment like that or even a comment about my accent or a comment about or an assumption about where I was, my desires because of how I look. It's just par for the course, right? Like and you need to be I think one person told me as you you need to be empathetic for the lack of empathy. And you need to understand that and and help every single individual kind of Wow. I never thought of that. I never thought of corporate America being the country club is just the most radical simplification of corporate America. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I get it now. It's like, because I grew up in corporate America without knowing what the country club looked like. <laughs> Just know what a country club looks like now, right? It's yeah, exactly. A, but now, I, you know, it's funny because a lot of people that I work with, right, now I hear, oh, I'm a member of this country club. My parents are members. Like, they grew up in that world. Exactly. I'm part of like this social club in, in, in Cape Cod, you know, and I'm like the only one that looks like this. And the only reason why I got it is because like, I actually know the owner of the club. Right. And so like, and he called me, he's like, come in, you can have access to the restaurant and the pool, blah, blah, blah. But what I see happening in there now, it makes sense of the entitlement and, and their thinking in the perspective of people that grew up there that work in corporate America, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because my upbringing is completely different. Yes, right? exactly. And so now it makes sense, right? Well, it's like, oh, wow, you were part of that. That's how you grew up, right? Yes. You had, that's all you said. It's innate. It's it's just part of how they behave. And when they yeah. say the, the old boys network, that's actually where it comes from. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, everybody knows each other. They spend the entire summer together. The kids are together. They're talking about deals. They're doing stuff. They do the same activities, see the same kind of people. And so you, you, you need diversity. You need exposure, right? And to learn and to see other things because it just becomes a microcosm and that is a bubble and you're mm -hmm. completely isolated. It's an right? eco chamber. Yeah, exactly. It's just an eco chamber, right? And so I, and we come with a different perspective. And so that's, there's, there's magic to be taken advantage there by our upbringing. If we have the right perspective, perseverance, patient, ability to learn, listen, adaptability, we need those things in order to be successful in that world, right? It's good. So so tell me, so then you, you do UBS, you start a company. 
Is that was that straight? I got an opportunity to go to JP Morgan. I worked there as an investment banker full time for a couple of years. A lot of my colleagues were all Ivy Leaguers. I felt at the time that in order for me to kind of continue to level up, I needed an Ivy League degree. I took the GMAT number number of times. I did terribly at it. I wound up getting a 570 on my GMAT, which is pretty bad from an 800. Wait, well, 570, is that for one subject or? No, that's combined. Combined. Okay. And uh, I actually, so the average score is 720. I did a program called MLT, which is similar to SEO, but getting minorities help getting into business school. And I, she told me after I took it four times, she's like, you know what, Rishio? Do your best and forget the rest. The GMAT is just one part of the application process. And I trusted her. I didn't quit. I applied to every school. And the only Ivy League school I applied to was Wharton because I didn't think I was good enough. But I applied. I showed up to all the pre-admissions meetings. I knew the admissions officer. And lo and behold, I got in. I was accepted. And and I got an opportunity to go to Wharton uh, in 2009. It was incredible because uh, I got to meet so many talented people from every corner of the world, uh, ex-entrepreneurs, politicians, doctors, PhDs. It was just, again, surrounding myself, getting in the right room. And I knew I was going to just absorb a lot of that knowledge by osmosis. And by the time I finished business school, I kind of felt empowered to, to take the next leap of faith. And, and that was you know, starting a tech company where two years before I thought I needed like 10 years experience. I think that was the magic of business school. Like it helps, it helps kind of reinforce a belief and a confidence in you and a boldness that you need to go and take that leap of faith. Overconfidence, overconfidence. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. I think you need to be a little bit overconfident. So yeah, in 2013, I decided to start what was now Arcus, Dan Regali. That's an interesting about, just make sure that everybody hears this. You, 570, you said? Yeah, I got 570 on my GMAT. You got into Wharton with yes, a 570 on the GMAT. I got the lowest score in that class. Man, I love the stories, right? It's like, we, we would be like, no, we can't do it. I forget what my GMAT score was to go into my master's, but I did really well in the math. That the math was fun. I'm not like a super math genius, but like, the, the GMAT level math was like, that's fun and easy. And I think I missed like maybe one question. What was, it would be 400 and 400. Is that what it was? Like, I think, I think that's what it was. Yeah. So I must've gotten like 380 on yeah. that, but my English wasn't that good. So my score might be around there too, because the English part of it, I don't know. Did I get 50% on that? It would be 600. I might, I got into Harvard. Yeah. With score. I got to look it up. I don't know if I can yeah. find yeah, it was the same for me. Like I did really well on the on the, the math part and the English part, just not good. I was crushing that one, that one. but the, the math, I was like, oh, I got one wrong. Fuck. It's like, yeah. That was mad. You got into Warren. I got into Harvard. People apply. What is it? I don't know. It's God, what is it? But you're like, you're applying to Warren. Is it the laws? Is it equal opportunity? What is it? But you can apply and you don't have to be this fancy degrees, scores and stuff. People, people, our people, please apply to the schools. Please apply to the jobs. You can't sit and sulk in your home and saying you you'd never got anything. You gotta go get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got you gotta take shots. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. You know. And you you went and started a company with the overconfidence that you were ready to start a company. 
you probably weren't, but you ended up being ready in the sense that you did it, right? And I want to talk more about that. In my case, you know what? I was a little bit of a, I don't know if I'm a security cat because I'm not, but I'm strategic, right? I, I worked with David because I wanted to work with someone that had more experience. I chose to work with David as opposed to co-founding with another friend of mine that was his first time starting a company. Because I was like, you know, my mind is like two people that never done this before. I'd rather go with somebody that has done it before and I'm the one learning, right? You went and did it yourself from scratch. Yeah, which yes, which I recommend your path, by the way. That's a, that's a smart path. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a, that's what I did. So I'm to all the listeners, that's but, a, but there's two yeah. paths, right? It's okay. Yeah. And you start one, it doesn't work out, then do try the other way. And then if not, then try back the other way. The thing is that we can have so many shots in life. It's not a one-time deal, you know, that it's just going to, if it fails, you're done for life. It's like, no, exciting. Go try again. Yeah, no, that is exactly right. And I, I think uh, coming out of school, you have that adrenaline, you have that strength, you have that the kind of that desire in the pit of your stomach to, to go on and do something big. And I, I kind of wanted to capitalize on that. Yeah, A lot of this is naive thinking, truth be told, but I think you kind of need some of that naiveness what, going into a... What do you think everybody else is doing? Yeah. This is the thing that people need to understand, the naivete of... Uh, you know, elite white person coming from a private school. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. It's, like, it's the same thing. It's just exactly, exactly. They have, yes, exactly. have a bank account with their parents that support them, but they're still naive. They don't know anything. All this yes. stuff comes out of their mouth. They have not felt what an entrepreneur has felt after years exactly. and years of building, of selling, of hiring, of firing, of fundraising, of rejection that yes. we're all going to receive. Mm-hmm. If you're white, you're not going to, every every investment is not going to say yes to you either right you're going to get rejection and there's different economic classes too but we need to all realize we all are naive when we haven't done something (laughs) it's yeah it's par for the course right yes yes yeah we did it and we need that confidence so you when you start a company how many years you worked on it so we started 2013 and we sold the company to mastercard in 2021 so a year's total Eight years. So one thing to understand is the secret is you got to find something to focus on. You have to focus on it for longer periods of time. Find something, then focus. You did it for eight years. Third, you got to know when to exit. Yeah. The exit element is sometimes outside of your control and sometimes it's within your control. I think that the parts are that are within your control is... A Y Combinator, we say it's build something people want. That's an oversimplification, but the way I interpreted that is that you need to build an expertise, a product that a select cohort of people, company, consumers, call it whatever you want, really, really want and need. I respect more the power of a niche, owning an expertise in a particular niche. Uh, no matter how unsexy it is, it's very powerful. And our company did consumer bill pay in predominantly Latin America. And that's not the most exciting segment, but but we dominated that segment and we wound up serving consumer bill pay as a platform to virtually every single You mean like, like paying people's bills online? Household bills, electricity, gas, water, something as simple as that. We made that process easier for every Mexican resident. That's awesome. Yeah, we're a platform. 
Um, yeah, I, I love that too. It's like, do not underestimate. That's another great lesson, right? Is do you want to go into Wall Street and know everything about all of Wall Street? Or you build an expertise in understanding oil in Latin America or something. Yeah. The more you know about that, the thing is that not everybody can know everything about everything. Exactly. There's so many things to learn. So if exactly. you know something and you go deep on that, right, that's the focus part of it, then somebody will find value in it. Right? Exactly. At whatever level. Yeah, exactly. It might not be a billion dollar purchase, but it might be like, well, you get higher. Into this exactly. other race salary, or you and you'll always be on demand, or you could be an investor or whatever, right? And then if what you have goes away, I'm sure that that can be parlayed into something else. But being niche is very important, right? Yeah. Don't underestimate that. Like, oh, it's just the most freshest, coolest thing that you can learn. But you knew about bill pay. I mean, like, that is awesome, right? It's like to understand consumer behavior. The methods of payment they can do, like when they can pay on time, when they're going to default. There's just so much information to be mined there, right? That a yeah. lot of people would want to know, right? It's a fantastic understanding an area where maybe bill pay is very well known and easy to build in the United States now. It's a done thing, but it's not in Latin America, right? It's not exactly. like it's awesome. So you did bill pay eight years. How big was the team? How big did you get it? When we exited, it was about 100. Yeah. Employees. yeah, that's so. that's awesome. Most people are not able to start a company. Most people are not, you know, to get something beyond five people. Then you build that. You build. You build a real company, right? Solving. Yeah, it was it was sizable. We we were moving billions of dollars by the time we exited. It became one of the biggest platforms in, in all of Latin America, and and luckily found a partner in Mastercard that really believed in our vision and was squarely aligned with what we wanted to do to take it to the next level. I love this story. You you went from. A dropout mechanic <laughs> with the dream to building a company that access to one of the largest financial institutions in the world, right? Yeah. MasterCard yeah, for building an expertise, building a niche, right? Um, something that is has nothing to well, I mean, I guess it has to do with finance, but you just got to, you. it's not like you went, you learn any of that at JP Morgan. No, no, it's no. It's not like you no. learned that at school, at Wharton, right? None of that stuff. You had to go roll up your sleeves and okay. And yeah, learn How it on the job. Yeah, learn, learn it on the job. And it's it's and it was not a straight path. Obviously the, the idea changed and morphed and, and you know, like every good entrepreneur, you, you pivot and adjust. But what never changed was kind of the desire to, to triumph, right? The desire to succeed. Cause, cause, you know, you know, you, you and I both know it's it's never a straight path to success. It's like it's a lot of ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. And that desire to overcome and desire to win and achieve the dream, it's its really what keeps us going, you know. That's awesome. You're living the American dream, right? I mean, I think it's, and I call the American dream just many dreams, right? You, you yes. went from being able to support your parents, help them get going, right? To getting an education, to working at UBS, J.P. Morgan. I mean, you got into Wall Street, right? That's, that's a success in itself. You could have spent your whole life and make really good money, right? And, and, and Wall Street, investment banking, fantastic. Then you go into Wharton, right? Now you go from a community college to that. Then you start a company. Then you exit. Wow. It's such a fascinating journey. And now you're part of YC, right? Yep. And you were a YC. Were you part in 2013. Of yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to be part of YC in 2013. 
back then it was being led by Paul Graham, who founded Y Combinator. And I got to work with amazing people like Michael Siebel, like Gary Tan, who are still at YC. Gary's coming back as a president. After my exit to MasterCard, I, I always stayed in touch with them and joined as a visiting partner. And my role there is to just help the next generation of founders, just like I was on the other side. So it's really exciting just to put everything I've learned over the past eight years to, into practice. When you go into YC, do they ask you to hang their their coat on it? Is it like the country club? <laughs> no, 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 it's, How many partners it's great. How many partners? Like, yeah, we were 19 partners at YC now. How many Latinos? I'm the only one. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you. No. Thank you for representing. In, no, always, in, always. Gotta represent, man. Always. In such an amazing organization, right? It's great. I'm, I'm just learning. I'm soaking it up. I, I treat it like I was a first year analyst at JP Morgan where I'm just, I'm, I'm humbled to be there. Uh, I want to learn and I want to just kick ass at the same time. Are you going to, you're going to outwork everybody? That's the, that's the goal, man. I just, I work out, you know, I'll collaborate. Just want to help. You know, and I know that it's, it's not just about me. It's about everybody that comes after me, right? Everybody yeah. that looks like you and I after me. I know that however I do is representative of them as well. So I don't think that responsibility lightly. So I take it with the same approach. I, I have the same fire that I had in my belly, you know, 17 years ago when I stepped into, you know, JP Morgan, I have it now. That's awesome. It is a big deal, right? Because I never applied to YC, right? And uh, I, I mean, uh, I respect and venerate, you know, PG, right? He's unbelievable. What a source of wisdom and experience and yeah. all the stuff, that, like the stuff that he has seen, it's just unbelievable, right? The philosophy in his way has not been lost, right? He's still that same early stage. Yes. Entrepreneur person, you know, he hasn't morphed into other things. He has stayed true to this and just found his niche, right? Like you were saying. And he did never dawn on me. In a way, I see YC from a distance as a white institution, right? That I would have never be a part of it, right? But you being there and now realizing some companies have gone through that have Latinos in it. That you are a partner now, that should be a, a great picture for everybody to see. It can be done, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I just don't, I, I just see PG and I see like Dropbox founders and this and whatever, right? But it's like, now I say like, you know what? Could you be recommending more and more Latinos to apply and to submit their applications, to look at what other companies looked like when they were applying was it just an idea? Was it progress? And go for it and reach out to you, right? So they can be part of the cohort and then someday they can be a partner, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the goal. I mean, that's how you start that. That's how, you know, SEO started with, with a first class of, of a few black and brown folks in the 80s in Wall Street. And now it's, it's been, you know, systematized into Wall Street. Diversity is institutionalized to Wall Street. Hopefully one day it will be Silicon Valley as well. And I think you and I are kind of the first generation of that. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, like I said, there's, we're kind of, yeah, we're kind of maybe first generation or something, but there's many people that we're riding on their shoulders, right? Yes. Like, Latinos have done so much stuff we didn't even know, but in tech, it's, it's still the early days for Latinos. Very but, much. Very much. What are you doing on the side? Are you, you you're doing some writing? You went, yeah. you, know, you know how to speak eloquently? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good callback. It's a good callback. Yeah, I've been, I've learned a lot for the past eight years uh, as a founder. 
And and I just want to kind of pour all of that knowledge and just share the knowledge, share the knowledge with, with people like you and I who are the underdogs, the have-nots, the, the people that are going to start on third base and and show them that that is not an impediment to to success. It's actually a, a, a propeller to success. Like it's actually a, it's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. So I've, I've been I've been finishing a book. It's called The Underdog Founder. It'll be out next year. And in the meanwhile, I've been sharing that knowledge via my Instagram channel, which is uh, Elidicio underscore startup coach. And I just try to distill all those lessons for whoever wants to to listen, right? Things that I wish I knew back when I was starting out. And yeah, I just kind of just want to share knowledge. I'm just passionate by that. Luckily, after, you know, the exit, we, it was life-changing for me a kid that grew up on welfare just you know being able to be at a different economic level it just it's like a dream come true and i just want to share that knowledge so that people can get there absolutely that's the whole point of this podcast right is to show the success that can be had right if you are persistent if you persevere and you take advantage of who you are right and the the value that we bring to society in a different perspective so more people are waiting for us to do this than we think of yeah Amen. Time is now. That time, time is, now. is now. Yeah. And they need to see themselves in you. They need to see themselves being able to make all those pivots, get all these jobs, start companies, being an investment partner, writing a book. What a wonderful story. And it's just getting started. You're still as hungry as you were day one. I love that. I think one thing we need is that it's kind of hard to just like share our expertise. I love when people can ask us questions and stuff like that. So like people need to come to you and say like, sometimes we don't even know what we've learned right until we get asked in the moment by somebody. That's a very good point. Right. And so like people need to give you their feedback so you can put this in the book. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about it because they're going through it and we don't even remember because right? it's just a blur. Right. It's like what was happening at that moment in time during that situation. So please reach out to Edrizio, ask him questions, really tap into him because he's a resource. He's at YC. If you need help applying, have an idea, reach out to him. Definitely. He will give you extra time and care and, and attention to make sure that your application is top notch and encourage you to, to apply, right? Of course. To of course. follow the dream. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Lias. Appreciate the hustle. I love that Dominican hustle. That's awesome. awesome. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.